COVID-19, oh, we need a vaccine at this moment. It means everything. Please wear your mask and stay six feet back. Total shutdown. COVID-19. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, another episode of Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland, Ken Dworstic and Ted Klopp, episode 15. And Ted, you are experiencing something you have not experienced in quite a long time. Some time away from your children and your wife. And I guess the question that everyone has right now, what is it that you're doing? Well, it's been, as long as my kids have been alive, I've never been away from all of them. And the only time I was away from my wife when we were newly married without kids was one time. And I took that opportunity to paint our bedroom. She was gone for like eight days. Her car hit the street and I moved stuff out of the bedroom immediately. So what am I doing? Well, being a middle-aged man, first and foremost, I have enjoyed plenty of Sleep. Sleep. <laughs> Here's my day on Saturday. I woke up. I had breakfast. Watched a little TV. I said, hmm, kind of tired. I went back to bed. Came downstairs. Had some lunch. Watched some TV. I said, hmm, kind of tired. I went back to bed. Got up, did a couple things, had dinner, watched a movie, went to bed. Isn't that so funny? That it was a great day. Get older, that sort of thing, like just watching something on TV or sleeping in later. When you have that opportunity, I have that once in a while myself. My fiance is going on a trip or my kids aren't with me and I do have some time on my own. It's like, wow, what am I going to do? And I tend to do the same things, Ted. I just mm -hmm. kind of lay in bed or sleep in or anything like that. And when you're younger, you're like, oh, my gosh, I have this time. So I'm going to go out and meet this guy. I'm going to go out and do that. And obviously, during the times we're in right now, you can't necessarily do that. But still, you have the option to do whatever you like. And it's so funny. What's the first thing that people say? Oh, I slept in. Yep. We don't get to do that. <laughs> yep. And I'm sure it's the same way with you when your kids are with you by... 6.30, 7.30, probably at the latest. If they're not climbing in bed to wake you up, they're downstairs making noise. Oh, that's 100% correct. Yep. Yes. I have been basking in my alonitude. You deserve it, my friend. Thank you. You certainly Thank do. You. Hey, we got some feedback this week that I wanted to share with you. I got a text from a mutual friend, no names, please. But I just wanted to share this little bit of feedback about the show and see what you think of what she said. She said, hey, good episode. I said, thanks. Anything you liked or didn't like? And this was her response. I'd just like to get your reaction to this. She said, it felt shorter and quicker, which I thought was good. Shorter and quicker, which I thought was good. Well, you can certainly interpret that in many different ways. Mm -hmm. But I think specifically she's talking about the show. That's great to oh, hear. Was she? Yeah, because I... Uh, I, I, my text back to her was, are you still talking about the podcast? I'm not <laughs> sure. So anyhow. once again, the immature humor is the same as it's been for about 20 some years. Yeah, so, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Well, Ted, coming, what up, we have coming up on the show, coming up on the show, we will talk with Fox 8 meteorologist, Scott Sable, 
about broadcasting from his basement on a cell phone. Plus, a man parachutes into the side of a building in downtown Cleveland. The Tales and Clops clips. The Beatles play the first rock concert at Cleveland Stadium, and it's a flop. Learn more in This Week in Cleveland History. And President Donald Trump makes our misspeak of the week. Oh, no, not a dad joke. Why don't eggs tell jokes? They'd crack each other up. That joke was horrible. Blah, blah, blah. 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 Today's guest has been a meteorologist for Fox 8 since 2002. Graduated from Hudson High School and earned his bachelor's degree in aeronautics, meteorology from Parks College at St. Louis University. He now holds the American Meteorology Society seal of approval. He's trained in Skywarn Severe Weather Spotter for the National Weather Service. He was the recipient of an Associated Press Award for Outstanding Weather Special in 1999. He was captain of his Division III college baseball team for two years and had a batting average of over 400. He also enjoys drawing, weightlifting, photography, playing drums, the outdoors, and collecting memorabilia, along with working with his new smoker. Did you say smoker? What? I said smoker. I don't even know her. Duh, this hardly know her. He lives in Medina with his wife and two children. Let's talk with everyone's favorite meteorologist, who has the nickname Stormcloud, Scott Sable. Scott, how are you today, sir? Kent, couldn't be better, you know, enjoying the man cave here this afternoon after a nice <laughs> nap. So um, I even comb my hair for you guys, although it's wow. audio, but, but no, you know, unneeded Scott, I just please. feel like I'm, you know, more put together when I, when I, I, have... I, I showered yesterday, if that <laughs> means anything. There you go. No, everybody's <laughs> doing good. Want to talk about what your experience has been for the past couple of months, obviously with pandemic, if I'm not mistaken, from my, when I've had the opportunity to watch you on TV, it looks like you're not necessarily in the studio, but actually in your basement. Talk about how that's been and what that's been like to work with. Yeah, I've been in the basement now and I have like a running list here because I keep notes each day of stuff that I'm doing and, and a lot of the other things. And I've been down here since late March. The last time I was at the station, I think it was in early April for a couple of days. And honestly, it's surprisingly, from a technical standpoint, it's worked out really well. We had some hiccups along the way like everybody does, but it's been a learning experience. But overall, you know, it's something that you get used to, but like everybody, you don't get too comfortable with it because you don't know what's going to happen like next week. We could be all back at work next week, highly unlikely, but that's just how it's been the last four months. So um, I'm just dealing with it here downstairs in the basement, and we'll see what happens in the weeks to come. So did the station provide you with a lot of equipment, lighting, monitors? What did you have to do to get set up? What we use is a phone. And the phone, because most phones shoot in high def, they provided us with a phone. We have a microphone, like you can see the lav mics that we normally use at the station that plug into the phone. And we have some lighting. And, you know, it took a couple of weeks to kind of work out the kinks and making sure that we didn't have any issues. They provided us all the stuff that we need. I have my computer here. I have a couple of lights up above and a monitor behind me, and it looks pretty simple and, and it's worked. Besides the technology type of issues you've dealt with, which obviously doesn't seem like it's been a problem at all, what else has been more difficult working at home as opposed to the station? On a personal level or a professional level, what do you think? I would say both. 
Both? All right. So professionally, when you're talking to like Wayne, Christy, and Stephanie, and Todd, you don't see them in front of you. So you're carrying on a conversation remotely. And our show is so organic. You know, we feed off of one another. It's very difficult to feed off of one another when you're not even seeing them on a monitor. You're hearing them. And there's obviously a one and two second delay there sometimes. So that's probably the most challenging part. On a personal level, I don't have to get up nearly as early, which is good. So I get another 45 minutes of sleep. I'm kind of a quiet guy, an introverted guy. So, you know, working from home, I've never done it before. So, you know, in 25 years in television. So it's been interesting the last four months. But yeah, I think it's just the interaction with people. You know, you don't have a chance to do that because I'm down here by myself. Now, I hear that you have some sports memorabilia. You're a big uh, baseball fan. Tell us about your memorabilia collection. I started when I was a kid, and my wife will tell me that I'm a pack rat, which I probably am to some degree, <laughs> but I've collected, like, saved every autograph I've picked up, baseball cards, baseball bats, stuff, ever since I was a kid, going to go to the old stadium. And then finally, it's, okay, you know, let's create this man cave, and my wife was on board, and my kids come down here, and they check it out. So my memorabilia ranges anywhere from my very first autograph, I think was a Toby Hara autograph in 1982, to some bats that I have signed to my very first pennant I got at the Browns game back in 1979. Stuff like that. And pictures and everything for me with my memorabilia, everything has a story. It's not just I get something just for the sake of getting it. There's always a story behind everything that I have down here. So when I look at it, I go, oh, I remember when I was a kid when I got that. Or I remember this, you know, I was such and such a place. So that's kind of the general idea when I look around my, around my basement. Scott, what would you say is the top piece that you have that you feel like goes along with the best story that you have with your, of your, all of the memorabilia that you have? I would say my two pennants, the one that I got when I went my first Indians game with my dad and the Browns pennant when I went to my first football game with my dad. Those are probably the most sentimental because I remember those like it was yesterday. and Those are hanging in respective locations right behind my computer. They're not necessarily worth any, having monetary value, but they're sentimental because, you know, my dad took me to those games and we went back this, that's 40 years ago. I would say the most unique piece that I have, and my aunt actually had it and she gave it to me, was a medallion that you got at the Coliseum. It was the very first event at the Coliseum, I think in like 1974, it was a Frank Sinatra concert. And it's a medallion. It kind of looks like an Olympic medal. The medallion, you know, is maybe two and a half inches wide and it's metal. So you got this medallion that says very first event at the Coliseum, Frank Sinatra concert, and that's hanging over there in the corner. So that's probably the most unique piece of memorabilia that I have. Again, I wasn't there for that because that was the year I was born, but I love looking at that and it reminds me of my family and my aunt. And it was hanging in my grandfather's basement in Brook Park for many, many years. Wow. Ken mentioned your batting statistics when you were in, was it college, Ken? Oh, which yes. Were, which were uh, impressive to say the least. Did you have any aspirations or make any attempts to continue baseball beyond college? I think I was probably a little delusional thinking that I, that I could actually play beyond that. But <laughs> I went to a couple of tryouts just in the heck of it. And you get there and you're realizing, oh, these guys are really good. And I'm not really as good as these guys are. <laughs> it was fun. And I was a singles and doubles hitter. I remember specific at-bats, right? And I remember, well, I could have done that better. Here it is 25, 30 years later. But I always wanted to play professional ball, but no, I wasn't good enough for that. I had a nice four-year run, and it was fun, and I played baseball after that when I lived in West Virginia working in television, and then came back up. I played in a couple of leagues in Cleveland, the Roy Hobbs League and a few others, 
then I realized I couldn't see the ball as well. And so, I, you know, wearing glasses during a game nowadays just doesn't cut it. And these guys aren't getting any younger. And when you can't see something moving at 93 miles an hour, it's pretty much time to say, all right, I'm done. Now, one of the other things that I know you've recently done, and I had the opportunity to see one of the episodes uh, that you guys were doing this, is you've purchased a new smoker and you've been smoking some different meats. I got a smoker for Christmas and sure enough, the pandemic hit. So I had time, right? We didn't know what was going on. I love grilling. And so you got to take it to the next step. You got to get a smoker. And so I've been doing ribs, chicken wings. My brother and my sister-in-law came to town. We did a brisket. So it's fun because you got to regulate the heat. There's a science to it, and I'm just getting used to it. And hey, the family likes it. I haven't screwed up anything yet too bad. So (laughs) it's great. It's great. You got to be careful, though, because I put the smoker like behind the garage so the neighbors don't see that I'm actually cooking meat because then they'll come over and they'll want stuff. And so I got to be very tactful in where I place it. And so it's an electric smoker, so you can regulate the heat really well. It's fun. I enjoy it. So how big is this smoker? From watching some restaurant shows, they can get very large, can't they? Yeah, this thing is maybe like two and a half feet by two feet. You know, you can probably put a rack of ribs in there, maybe about 15 chicken wings, and maybe like a pork loin, and that's about it, if that makes any sense. And it stands about three feet off the ground. So it's just big enough and small enough where you can store it in the garage. You clean it up, and it gets out of the way, and so that's about how big it is, but it's, yeah, it's usually, it's rectangular. It's about, you know, yay high. And how far in advance do you have to decide that you're going, like, if you want to have smoked ribs tonight, when did you have to start that preparation? Would that be this afternoon? Is that yesterday? How's that work? I probably would have started it yesterday because with ribs, it takes me about three and a half hours. But usually I get stuff ready the day before and around noon, one o'clock, I'll start getting stuff prepared outside and in time to eat maybe around five or six. Scott, one last thing but as we close. Wanted to kind of get your final thoughts on Dick Goddard, who passed last week. Uh, certainly somebody you had the opportunity to work with, actually someone that you saw as a child and then obviously had the opportunity to work with later. What's some of the quick things off the top of your mind that you can say about Dick, and what was he like to work with? Well, Mr. Goddard was a really unique guy. Um, very, he, he was eccentric, but eccentric in a good way because he was a guy who – had a kind heart. First off, he was always looking to help someone else out before himself. And he almost did that to his detriment sometimes because he was always looking to help people and people, but also the animals. It was both. It wasn't just the animals. I think that's where we, we always hear about it. And, and I think as, as he got older, I think it's like, Mr. Goddard, man, why don't you get some sleep? You know, that kind of thing. He was just a kind soul. There's something that I wrote online and I'm, and I remember talking about, and I have a whole bunch of stories on my Twitter page and I'm just going back and and kind of looking at him now, because every time I think of one, I post it on there. But, you know, he had this blend of self-deprecation. He was a really intelligent guy, but he had this aura of humility around him. And, and his broadcast, and, you know, we all saw him growing up, you know, it was this down-home folksy broadcast, but there was intelligence there. He didn't sacrifice his credibility at all by being down-home. And it's something that viewers gravitated toward. I gravitated towards it. You know, we got generations of people that gravitated towards it. And once all of that was cemented and his trust, he was good to go. You know, nothing could break that trust once you trusted in his broadcast and his personality and all that just kind of moved together. For me, a story that I have is when I was about, I think, eight or nine years old, you know, me being the weather geek, I wanted to know what the difference was between miles per hour and knots. I saw it on the boater's forecast. I forget what it was. 
And my mom or my dad said, why don't we call the station? You can talk to Dick Goddard. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? Come on, we can't do that. So my dad calls up the station and, and he hands me the phone. He goes, here's Dick Goddard. I'm scared. I'm like, really? It's Dick Goddard? He spent a couple of minutes talking to me about the difference between miles per hour and knots. I was a little kid at the time. And I'll never forget that. I mean, that was like, I don't know, 40 years ago. You know, had a chance to work with him. I interned at Channel 8, and, and I, I was a weather watcher for him back in, here's a quick story, in junior high and in high school. And so when I got to the station, he has these big binders, and they're full of weather records, handwritten weather records from 1961 every day until I think the day that he retired with notations and stuff. So I'm leafing through the drought of 88. Remember the drought of 88? It was a real big oh, yeah. dry year. And I'm leafing through it. I'm going, wait a minute, I see Hudson written here. Hudson, rainfall, I don't know, 1.5 inches or whatever. And I'm like, wait, that was me. I, I called him and he made a notation in his weather record book on, from my phone call. So it's like, here I am working with him and I'm seeing this notation from 30 some odd years ago. So it was kind of cool. The story goes, and, and Mr. Goddard goes, well, Scotty, uh, why did you stop calling me? Well, I said, Mr. <laughs> Goddard, uh, you know, once you get into high school, it's not real cool to call Mr. Goddard, you know, when you're... 16 years old, whatever it was. He goes, uh, let me guess. They called you a weather nerd, didn't they? I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, you got, and he's cracking up. He's laughing. <laughs> so he was always looking away to kind of like, he liked chaos in a weird playful way. He liked to see a squirm a little bit, but not enough to, just enough to make you uneasy, but not enough to make you so uncomfortable that it was putting you down. That's, that's what he looked like. So, so that, that's the memory that I have from him. Did you always call him even when you worked with him? I noticed you call him Mr. Goddard. Is that common at the station? It, that... it depends. I would call him Dick sometimes. I would call him Mr. Goddard. Then when I found out what his middle name was, which was Dwayne, I started calling him Dwayne a couple of times and he thought <laughs> that was the funniest thing ever. But I didn't want to be disrespectful. So it just depended. Sometimes it was Mr. Goddard. Sometimes it was Dick. Well, Scott, thank you so much. Thanks for the memories about Dick Goddard. Can you stay with us a little bit more for our game time? Absolutely. And now, a woman's perspective. Never ask a woman who is eating ice cream straight from the carton how she's doing. This has been A Woman's Perspective. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. At the tone, please record your message. From time to time, people like to leave us messages. And when they do, and time allows here on the program, we check our voicemail. So we're going to do that right now. If you listening right now, you sitting there in your car, you listening at your computer, would also like to leave us a voicemail and achieve fame that few others have, you can leave us a voicemail, ask a question, go to anchor.fm slash 2-M-A-M-I-C-L-E. There's a link right there, little plus sign with the word message. Click that and you can leave a message and we will answer your question on an upcoming episode. With that in mind, Ken, here is this week's question. Hey, this is Riley and I have a question for you. What is your favorite soda? What is your favorite soda, Ken? Wow, that's a tough question. I've been trying to limit the amount of soda I have. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. When I was younger, I really liked sun-kissed orange. 
Did you ever have Sunkissed Orange? It was. I think so. Yeah. That was a really big thing as a kid. Yep. I also enjoyed root beer. When I used to work at the St. Charles Carnival in St. Charles Borromeo Church in Parma, Ohio, they used to have all these different cases of RC Cola come in with all these different brands. And I really liked RC Cola as well. So I would say my top choices would be root beer, Sunkissed Orange, and then RC Cola as it is. Yourself, Mr. Klopp? I am not a root beer fan. I have never enjoyed root beer. Not sure why. It, it tastes like gum to me. I don't know why but not big into the, into the root beer. My favorite uh, soda would be Pepsi. Pepsi's at the top of my list. I know there's a lot Pepsi. of Coke versus Pepsi. Don't mind Coke, but I prefer Pepsi over Coke. Although in recent years, much like yourself, I have tried to eliminate soda from my diet. Not always successful. And my go-to now is Canada Dry Ginger Ale. It is a clear soda and not as theoretically and perhaps scientifically bad for you as the colas are. So, and I prefer specifically Canada Dry, not a fan of Verner's or anything like that. It's got to be Canada Dry ginger ale. And if I'm ever ill, I need chicken noodle soup, pills for headache or whatever, and I need Canada Dry ginger ale. And then just, I will hibernate and I will come out better. Is that amazing? It makes you feel better. It's just that Canada dry. It's, I, I think it's obviously a complete and total metal thing, but it really, it, it does seem to work. Now, one other thing that I do want to address here for Riley, who sounds like a younger gentleman, soda is bad for you. So if there's one piece of advice I can offer, it is try to avoid all soda. When I was in the sixth grade, I did a science project. There's a piece of meat that you can get at the grocery store, and it's cow's stomach. I can't remember what it's called, but it's cow's stomach. And my experiment was, what are the effects of soda on the stomach? And what I found was, all soda is bad, colas are particularly bad, and Coca-Cola is the worst, which is no surprise. Coca-Cola has been used to take rust off cars and other things throughout the years. Ironically, there was another kid who did a similar science project. He did the effects of soda on teeth at the same science fair. And after the science fair, they took all the kids who produced experiments to a restaurant for lunch or whatever. Two kids ordered milk. Everybody else ordered soda. And I'll <laughs> bet you can guess who those two kids were. I bet you were one of them. Good for you. You got it. You got nice it. Job. There's our soda choices. So can you go for root beer and Sunkist? Is that right? Yes, Sunkist and RC Cola, man. And RC Cola, which, uh, yeah, the Royal Crown. And I'll take a Pepsi or a Canada Dry. Have you heard about Anchor? I'm not talking about the one for a boat. This is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on 
Spotify, Apple and Podcast, and many more. You can make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It is time now for this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. We begin, Ken, with a man parachuting off a building in downtown Cleveland Sunday morning around 2.30. Witnesses say his chute got caught in a gust of wind and the man wound up hitting the side of a building, breaking his leg and then dangling by his tangled chute from the building 40 feet in the air until the fire department arrived with a hook and ladder to get him down. Witnesses actually got cell phone footage of the accident, and this is what it sounded like. Oh, boy, he's stuck. Oh, we got to help him. <laughs> he and three other guys apparently jumped from the top of a nearby apartment building. The other three landed safely. No word on how this quartet got up there. Well, I hope this gentleman's okay, first and foremost. Have you ever had any inclination of jumping out of a plane or jumping off a building and doing bungee or anything like that? Not unless a large sum of money is involved. I'm in the same boat with that. Lakewood, Ohio. A man was arrested for pointing a gun at a woman and her friend. A man was yelling and wound up being arrested, upset because the woman apparently dr- drank his beer. Come on now. Yep, drank his beer. Don't even look at it. You better not drink it. A Chinese businessman living in the United States has hired an Israeli jewelry company to create the world's most expensive coronavirus mask. When finished, the mask will have a price tag of $1.5 million. The 18-carat white gold mask will be decorated with 3,600 white and black diamonds and fitted with top-rated N99 filters. It'll weigh more than half a pound, which is nearly 100 times the weight of a regular surgical mask. The anonymous buyer has requested that it be finished by the end of the year. I just have one question. Mm -hmm. One word question. Mm -hmm. Why? Okay. My question is similar. You get that. Where are you going to wear it? You're not going to take it stolen. Yeah, I mean, you're going to wear that to uh, to the grocery store. You're going to take that, wear that when you're buying clothes. I, it doesn't seem like that would be a logical place to, to to take that. An Austrian tourist went a bit too far when posing for a picture at an Italian art museum. Security camera footage shows the man sitting on a 216-year-old plaster sculpture of Napoleon's sister. In doing so, the man broke three of the sculpture's toes. Police say the man broke away from a group to take a selfie of himself sprawled over the statue. No word yet if the man will face charges. This goes along with the story from last week where the children ran into the glass fixtures in China. Doesn't sound like, once again, we've done a very good job with security. No. I, how, how could you get close to such an item? 
How is it not encased or protected in some manner? A UK man got a little extra in his lunch food order. He picked it up for his co-workers. They ordered five boxes of fried potato slices at a restaurant called Nando's. At the bottom of one of them was a deep-fried moth. The restaurant promised to investigate, and a spokesperson says they're confident this is an isolated incident. No extra for the moth. <laughs> Maybe the next time you order, you just say, hey, listen, I'll have my fried potatoes, but hold the moth. Thank hold you. the moth. There you go. A naked sunbather in Germany wound up chasing a wild boar through a park. Boy, if I could play the Benny Hill music, this would be the story, huh? <laughs> Several photos were taken of the man as he chased after the boar who grabbed his laptop bag and ran away along with his two piglets. The man was apparently able to get the laptop bag back. <sighs> I really, I have nothing to say. That okay. is just, that's just too much going on right there. I. I'll defer on anything. An election integrity watchdog group just released a report on Nevada's June primary. The report found that more than 223,000 mail-in ballots sent to voters in the state's largest county were sent to outdated addresses, leading the post office to designate them as undeliverable. Those ballots represent 17% of all ballots mailed to registered voters in Nevada. My gosh. It seems like we have some sort of story with misappropriation of funds or something wrong with mailing out anything. I know a few weeks ago we talked about people that have been deceased receiving stimulus checks. Just goes to show me I, there's a lot of things involved with our government that just need to be fixed. That, there's no doubt about that. That's crazy. It is amazing that that is still happening in 2020. Happy birthday to Dorothy Pollock of Michigan. She just celebrated her 103rd birthday with a couple firsts. She got her first tattoo, a small frog on her arm. She chose the frog because she says she likes frogs. After getting the tattoo, she took her first motorcycle ride. She and her family are now planning more adventures. Any tattoos for you, Mr. Claw? None. If I want to draw, I'll buy some crayons and get a piece of paper. Okay, fair enough. I do not. I've, I've had many friends and family that do. It's never anything that I've really wanted to, to do myself, not because I choose not to, it's just because there's really nothing I'd want to put on my body for the rest of my life. That's kind of the way I look at it. So yeah. If there is I mean, something, maybe I'll do it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can put names of your kids, things like that, but mm -hmm. I... I know who my kids are. I don't need, it's, you know, it's my personal opinion. If a tattoo is what you want, God bless you. Absolutely. Not, not my deal. Well, that, Ken, is this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. And now, great moments in parenting. Number 746. Our six-year-old son came into our room and hopped onto our bed one morning last week, landing on my wife's shoulder. Ouch, she said. She was okay, so I asked him where he landed. He pointed and said, Mommy's shoulder. Then I asked him where her wrist was, which he quickly identified. 
I followed that up with, where is mommy's forearm? He looked at me somewhat quizzically and then pointed to her shoulder and said, one, two, three, four, as he moved down her arm. Then he pointed and said, forearm? As luck would have it, he did find her forearm, and we got a good laugh. This has been great moments in parenting. go with game time and it's time for who am i our resident trivia expert ken dworsnik has come up with a person place or thing that is in some way related to cleveland he's going to give me and our good friend and guest today scott sable from fox 8 these clues scott has graciously agreed to suffer through this with us and he will uh try to see if he can guess it before i do gentlemen i've tried to make this easy today knowing that both of you certainly have communications backgrounds things like that i I, you got a shot on this one okay so i'm gonna give you five clues after the clues we'll have the opportunity to make your guesses okay person place or thing Okay. And once again, associated with Cleveland. So, okay, here's number one. Born in 1935 and attended a private high school in the Cleveland area. That's number one. Okay. Number two, had a show and hosted a show that lasted 29 years from 1967 to 1996. This person was the first person to come up with the idea of having an audience, having audience members participate in the show. I'm uh, taking notes here, by the way. Am I allowed to do that? That's oh, fine. I'm, Whatever I'm you good. need to do. Okay. <laughs> the, number the game four. show regulation folks are not watching. Oh, That's okay. correct. Yeah. yeah. I was 42nd on TV Guide's 50 Greatest TV Stars of All Time. Wow. Yep. And the final one is... Oprah Winfrey mentioned that this person is the reason her talk show started. So let me go back from the beginning to make sure you guys have all the clues. Born in 1935, attended a private high school in the Cleveland area, Mm -hmm. had a show that lasted 29 years from 1967 to 1996, was the first person to come up with the idea of having audience members participate in a show, 42nd on TV Guide's 50 Greatest TV Stars of All Time, and Oprah Winfrey mentioned that this person is the reason for talk show start. Can I guess? You can. Go ahead, Scott, Scott. You can go. Go ahead. Ready? Bill Donahue. Hmm. Bill Donahue. That is a heck of a guess. I am going to go with Bill Donahue as well. That, that, that's got to be it. Gentlemen, you're correct. Well done. Very impressive. Bill Donahue. St. Ed's. St. Ed's, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to give the high school because yeah, I figured the high is. school, you guys get it right, right away. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Wow. Excellent work. Yeah. That was, was ahead say, of his time. It really was. Yeah, I was going to say Tim Conway, but I'm like, wait a minute. No, he didn't He didn't have a show. Well, he was a director at Channel 8 back in the day. Wow. But I'm thinking, now years don't match up because he wasn't at Channel 8 in 96. But anyway. When you started, when you first started, I don't know how, how old he is, but I was thinking Big Chuck. He was still there. He was still directing. I would yeah. run into him in the hallway. Yeah. I'm like, oh, there's Big Chuck. Oh, there's Little John coming in. Yeah, those guys are still <laughs> doing their thing. When the show ended in 96, I was like, no, it can't be them. I got to switch gears here. Right, right. 
They still float That's around crazy. at the station. They come in every once in a while. They do their show sometimes in front of the blue screen. So they have the yeah. old set blue screened in and they come in and it's, oh, it's, it's pretty funny, but I dig it. That's amazing. The, the other guy I was thinking of was Ernie Anderson, but hey, he was long gone by 96. Mm -hmm. I Right. So. Scott, from your time in television and communication, to have a show for 29 years, that, that's pretty impressive. That's, that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you don't see that happen very often. There's so many different stations and to the competition now. I mean, you have so many cable outlets. Just think back then, how many stations do you have, right? You had 358, you know, ABC, ABC, CBS, Fox didn't exist back then. And maybe you had something on PBS. That was it. Yeah. Well, not, yeah. not just that, but didn't Phil Donahue kind of create that talk show format where you had, as opposed to the Johnny Carson, where he's up there with the guest, he's walking around the studio asking questions. I mean, yeah. he, he created that uh, where, where people now, you know, like Oprah, Jerry Springer, all these people, that there are so many copies of that format nowadays. And it all started with Phil Donahue, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's neat looking back at some of those YouTube clips back in the, even back in the 80s and you're, and, it, and even in the 90s and some of that video looks so antiquated now. You're like, man, really? Oh that gosh. was in 96, 95? It looks like it's from 1896. It's crazy. Well, Scott, thank you so much. Thanks for bailing me out. I wasn't sure there, but when you said Phil yeah. Donahue, the light came on and I was uh, like, oh, that's got to be it. So appreciate your time. And uh, do you think, Ken, do we need an official meteorologist for two middle-aged men in Cleveland? I think there's no doubt. We need to know what the weather is each week. Mm -hmm. Do we need to know the what weather in Cleveland or somewhere else? Everywhere. Everywhere. Yes. All right. Scott, yes. uh, what do you, would your big money contract there at Fox yeah. 8 permit you to bring your services weekly or, or periodically to join us here on Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland? You know, normally they're real sticklers about this, but I think I can make an exception to you fine gentlemen uh, here, here hosting this podcast you know we'll, maybe we'll do some negotiation on some perks and you know, make sure the uh, the m&ms are in the right order in the green room and all that but we'll get it all done I, I oh scott i got that. it i yeah. got that taken care of i just rolled five or six rolls of quarters last oh. weekend so we're we're all set we're good to go big money, oh, big money. all right all right scott well thank you very much and uh, we'll look forward to your forecasts and We'll have you back as the official meteorologist of the Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland podcast. That, uh, that, I'm that sure that'll great. be at the top of your resume going forward. Sweet. Looking forward to it. Hopefully some glossy business cards to go with it. Here we go with where'd that come from? Where we find a common phrase, explain its meaning, and tell you the origin. This week, it's mad as a hatter. Mad as a hatter means to be crazy. In 17th century France, hat makers who used mercury for the hat felt wound up getting poisoned. The mad hatter disease was marked by shyness, irritability, and tremors that would make the person appear mad. Mad as a hatter. Hopefully no one says that about you. Now you know where that came from. This Week in Cleveland History. Ted, it's time for one of your favorite segments, This Week in Cleveland History. Love it! This, I know you do. August 12th, 1855, the Old Stone Church, known formerly as the First Presbyterian Church, is dedicated on Public Square. Have you been to the Old Stone Church before? Not inside. I've been there one time. I've been on yep. the inside and the outside. Beautiful place. Really mm -hmm. amazing. 
one of the most historic landmarks in Cleveland. August 13th, 1978, Clevelanders go to the polls to decide whether Cleveland Mayor Dennis Kucinich, the youngest mayor in Cleveland history, should be removed from office. The recall fails. Any conversations in your time with Dennis Kucinich? Yeah, he was a congressman at the time, and I was covering him when he made his presidential runs, which, as we all know, came up short. He had some interesting ideas for saving money, his campaign saving money. Among them, people asked his press secretary for a business card, and he said, oh, we're not doing business cards. We're going to save money and save trees by not creating business cards. So I'll write my email address on the chalkboard here, and you can all copy it down. That was one of his money-saving not, you know, I mean, Kinko's or whoever, business cards aren't that expensive. I don't know that that's going to do a whole lot, but that was no, one I of think Dennis's right ideas. That. August 14th, 1966, Cleveland Stadium's first rock concert is held featuring the Beatles. An announced crowd of more than 24,000 was big for the time, but with tickets selling for 3 to $6, promoters hoped for 70,000 people and considered the event a failure. The noise in the stadium made it impossible for the group and much of the crowd to hear the music. Partway through the show, several thousand fans jumped the stands and rushed the stage, forcing security to rush the Beatles to safety, delaying the show for half an hour. The Cleveland concert, like most of the Beatles' 14-city tour, led to the Beatles' decision to stop touring and performing outside a studio. Hmm. My gosh. First of all, ticket sales... And prices, three to six dollars. I don't think you can do that anymore. For any no, concert. that's pretty uh, pretty cheap even for that time. I would say that is interesting, though. I would I would expect a few more people once again at, at Cleveland Stadium than twenty four thousand people for the Beatles. Well, I believe part of the problem now. This doesn't account for all of it, but I believe it was the weather wasn't the best that night. Yeah, I but understand. still, it's the Beatles. I mean, nowadays. Rock concerts at the uh, the stadium that we have now, it, it rains and you still get 70,000 people there. I guess it's just a, a different time. People maybe weren't used to going to concerts in Cleveland or didn't want to go to such a large venue. Not sure, but I find it interesting that an experience like that in Cleveland and elsewhere led to the Beatles saying, we're done touring. Thank you. We're good. That just goes to show you how much money they made off their albums. Mm-hmm. They really did. Amazing. August 14th, and we stay in 1966, Halle Berry is born in Cleveland. Her name was Maria Halle Berry, but was legally changed to Halle Marie Berry when she was five. Her middle name, Halle, was chosen for Halle's department store. She graduated from Bedford High School and ironically worked in the children's department at Higby's. She later studied at Tri-C before pursuing acting. How about that? Um, one of the most famous actresses, uh, certainly of uh, the current time, and a game changer in Hollywood. I just find it interesting, Hallie, named for the department store. I, uh-huh. I did not know that. And then the the idea that when she grew up, she didn't work at Hallie's. She worked at Higby's, which was yes. a competitor. <laughs> that, that just kind of that uh, makes me chuckle. That's funny. We're staying on the same day, but we now move to August 14th, 2003. Power lines go dead across northern Ohio 
Southern Ontario and seven other states leaving 50 million people without electricity for up to four days. Problems with two transmission lines, one originating in Cuyahoga County, are to blame. Ted, do you remember this power outage? I certainly do. Vividly. I covered it when I was working at WTAM. Within a day, it was pretty certain that the problem originated here in Northeast Ohio. And it was unbelievable. I remember the satellite images that you could see from space for a period of time and just looking, walking outside. And you're not really aware that just city lights at night create a glow until they're not on. And then you talk about pitch black, pitch black. That was a very eerie day. So my parents were out of town. I was living in Medina at the time and I wanted to check on my grandmother. Obviously phones weren't working because she didn't have a cell phone. Cell phones really weren't that popular at that time. So she had a landline, it didn't work. So I drove from Medina to East 71st Street in Cleveland to go check on her. What a drive that was. I mean, there was no street uh, street lights. There was Mm -hmm. no traffic lights. There was absolutely nothing. And it was just a really strange drive. I doing what I had to do, going through lights and just continuing to go. And I get to her house and the air conditioning's not working. And she's just sitting there. I said, Grandma, maybe you should come with us and go to Medina. Why would I do that? I'll just stay here. It's fine. I just opened the window. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, when I uh, checked in on my parents, there was road construction in their neighborhood. And it was where they were taking big chunks of the cement part of the street, well, the cement of the street, all the way out, like down to the gravel. And so there were big holes in the street periodically. So it was, in broad daylight, it was a bit of a challenge to drive on their street. And I called... And they essentially said, yeah, we're bored. And we were thinking of going for a drive. And I, with the most vehement voice that I had, strongly discouraged that idea. And thankfully, they listened to me because I had visions of their car winding up in one of these holes as they tried to putter around our neighborhood or wherever else they were going and wind up in an accident. So crazy time. And it's still talked about here 17 years later. Moved to August 17th, 1965. Cleveland Plain Dealer editor Robert Manry reaches land in Falmouth, England, aboard his 13 and a half foot sailboat Tinkerbell and completes his 78-day voyage, I repeat, 78-day voyage across the Atlantic Ocean. At that time, his boat was the smallest to make it across the Atlantic. I have a question. I might have a question as well. That's that's a great question. Let's have this question. Have you ever been on a boat? Yes. Do you feel as though that whatever boat you were on, you'd want to stay on that boat for 78 straight days? No. I've never had that desire. We went on a cruise for our honeymoon. I think it was five days, maybe it was seven days. Can't really remember. And that was plenty. I was good. Good. Yep, we're good. 78 days on a 13 and a half foot sailboat. Sailboat. You're at the mercy of the wind. And not to mention crossing the Atlantic. Now, I realize a 13 and a half foot boat you're going to have a lot easier time navigating through any icy waters that you may come across. 
but if it's icy, it's obviously cold. I don't think there are heaters on a 13 and a half foot boat. And the Atlantic is the ocean where the Titanic sank. Yes. For me, red light after red light, if someone came to me and said, would you do this? The answer is no. Well, Ted, that is this week in Cleveland history. Miss Speak of the Week here, and this one comes from President Donald Trump, speaking at a White House event for the signing of the Great American Outdoors Act. When young Americans experience the breathtaking beauty of the Grand Canyon, when their eyes widen in amazement as Old Faithful bursts into the sky, when they gaze upon Yosemites, Yosemites... Nope. Now that should be Yosemite. By the way, that incorrect pronunciation from the president led to almost 30 grand in sales of a camping t-shirt sold by the National Museum of American Jewish History. The t-shirt reads Yo-Semite, and web sales were so strong that the museum's website crashed. That is your misspeak of the week. Well, Ted, that's going to wrap up another episode of Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland. Just a great week. What a pleasure it was to talk to Scott Sable and hear about his stories with Dick Goddard. And it can only be interesting working every day in your basement. That is not a situation that is conventional, to say the least. And if I may make one other observation, Yosemite. Yes. <laughs> Yosemite. <clears throat> Hey, we do have some Facebook likes this week. Uh, we want to mention some folks. The uh, social media gang, uh, Skippy and the boys, are uh, working hard. Our Facebook team has gotten likes this week. Chuck Peters gave us a like. Brad Evans, Tim O'Lynn, Dan McVeigh, and Jennifer Tappy. We appreciate everyone's Facebook likes. I think now, Ted, as I looked at the page earlier today, we have over... I believe 300 people that have liked mm. our page. So that's, that's great news. We also have an Instagram page, 2MAMIC1702. Uh, we currently have over 100 followers on that. So we appreciate that. And obviously our Twitter page, at 2MAMICLE. And don't forget, if you do want to leave us a voicemail, obviously you can interact with us on the social media. We can read messages that we get there, but you can also leave us a voicemail and get on the show by going to anchor.fm slash 2-M-A-M-I-C-L-E, and we will check our voicemail to make sure it never gets too full. Well, next week, Ken, Mark Schwab from 19 News is going to join us. He's the weekend sports guy. He will talk to us about the hockey playoffs, the basketball playoffs, see how the Indians are doing, and see what's going on with college football with more and more conferences deciding to either delay or cancel their fall sports season, which includes football. All right. Uh, any golf on the docket for you this week? Always, always. Yes. Okay. Try, to, right. try to play a little bit, play with the kids as well and all that. So uh, looking forward to more time in the links. I must report that a few days ago, this is all legit. I did have a witness who is a one. I shot a 78 on the golf course for eight. Wow. Yeah, I was pretty happy with that. Did you uh, keep your scorecard? Did, but uh, as you know, 
in the game of golf, as we've talked about, it can go away very quickly. I know the next time I play, I probably have about 150 for nine holes. <laughs> but you, Ted, anything this week? Yeah. Sleep. That's what I like to hear. Yep. What are we? We are two middle-aged men in Cleveland.